What truth in the simple phrase saying over and over and over, God, you are so good. You're so good to all of us. Thank you all for that beautiful reminder this morning. Psalm chapter 54, if you would turn and meet me at that text this morning. Uh, We're continuing the series in the month of November where we're looking at Psalms of Thanksgiving. This morning's psalm, a little bit different as Thanksgiving psalms go. This would not be on the list of uh, those what we call traditional psalms of thanksgiving or psalms of praise. But in this psalm, in the midst of a very tough and difficult part of his life, we see David turning to God and praising Him and talking about making sacrifices to Him and giving thanks to Him. And I think it's a good reminder for us that at all the times, at the times when everything's going great and we think that, yes, this is a time to thank God, that we should thank God, but also at the times when things aren't going well, that we still have reason to thank God and that we should still thank God. And so we're going to look at this psalm this morning, give you a little bit of the setting, and we'll look more at it in just a moment in the text, but, but kind of get your mind around what we're talking about here. David here is dealing with an enemy. Now, some of you have dealt with this. I had the opportunity to teach the uh, the college and career Sunday school class this morning, so they got a little bit of a preview of this. They're a little bit ahead of the curve on this, so if y'all have any questions when we're done, you can see any of the members of the college and career class. But some of you can really identify with this. Whenever I say an enemy, there's a person that comes to your mind. There's someone that you feel like hates you. There's someone that has tried to harm you or your family. There's someone that has done mean and terrible things to you. And that's what David's dealing with here in all the senses, in all those ways. Somebody that hates him fully. King Saul, somebody that is trying to kill him, that wants to hurt him in every way possible. And so how in the world, you might ask, does a psalm that is written in the midst of David dealing with that? Those of you that are there now, dealing with an enemy right now, think, how in the world is this a time of praise and thanksgiving that I'm going to look back later in my life and say, yes, that is a time of thanksgiving to God. Well, we're going to see this morning. Look with me at the text. Psalm 54, beginning in verse 1. David in the psalm says, O God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. O God, hear my prayer, give ear to the words of my mouth. Now, Here in this introduction, we just see that this psalm is written as a bit of a a prayer, a petition, if you will. David's calling on God. Verse 2 is pretty simple. God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of mouth. He's saying, God, listen to me. God, please listen to what I'm about to ask of you. But in verse 1, there's something that I wanted to point out here in this, what seems like a pretty simple, straightforward introduction, is that he calls on God to save him. And you know why? Because he's dealing with Saul, trying to kill him. But he says, God, save me by your name. Now, doesn't that seem interesting? Not God, save me with your power. Not God, save me with your miraculous strength, your ability, your authority. God, save me by your name. And those of you that are more familiar with Hebrew and Jewish culture and history, whenever they talked about a person's name, they didn't just mean the person's name. They tied a person's character to the person's name. And we do this to some extent, right? If I say Jerry Freeman, now he didn't know I was going to talk about him this morning. If I say Jerry Freeman, many of you immediately think hard worker, right? I, I hear people talk about it all the time. 
I don't think Jerry knows how to take a break. Right? Hard worker. That is, that's the name. It's a name. Right? They're letters. J-E-R-R-Y. That doesn't mean hard worker. But we tie his name to his character. Same sense. I say the Presleys. And many of you start to smile before I say anything else. You start to laugh, right? Because in their character, they are joyful. And, and we know that. And we tie that characteristic of those brothers to that name. And so they did the same, but they did it even more so in Hebrew culture. When you said somebody's name, you didn't just mean that person's name. You meant who they are. And so, so he's not saying, God, save me by your name. What he's saying is, God, save me by your unfailing, unchanging, perfect character. God, by who you are, I want to be saved. David knew that God was a God that defended those that couldn't defend themselves. God, David knew that God was a God who protected the weak and innocent. And so he's saying, God, that's your character. So I'm calling on you and your character, who you are. God, save me. I need you. David trusted God. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you up front, those of you that are looking in the bulletin at the points that are in there, those are going to be a little bit off. They've been edited since the bulletins were run. That's not Miss Jan's fault. That's that's something that I felt was important, uh, that I, I give this to you in a different way. But So if you're trying to follow along with those, don't. But I want us to look and say, I don't want to just tell you that Saul is trying to attack David. I want to give you a little bit more. I want you to understand. I want you to feel where David is here. So if you look at the heading of this psalm, and a lot of times we skip the heading, right? Y'all probably don't even read that sometimes. You skip the heading. Well, this heading, I, I would recommend that you read them because this one among many of them, is particularly useful. It says, To the choir master, with stringed instruments, a mascal of David, and then it gives us the setting. When the Ziphites went and told Saul, is not David hiding among us? Well, if you look up where that is in the Scriptures, that's in 1 Samuel. Now, you can turn there if you'd like. I'm going to read a passage from 1 Samuel chapter 23, because that's what's happening. In 1 Samuel 23... David has gone to hide from Saul, and he's in the area of the Ziphites, and that's where he's hiding. But unfortunately, it's not a good hiding spot because it's all of the people that live there saying, Hey, King Saul, he's over here. And so Saul is going to get him. And in 1 Samuel chapter 23, beginning verse 25, we read this. And Saul and his men went to seek him. And David was told, so he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maon, and when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul, as Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them. A messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing David after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, that place was called the Rock of Escape. But you can see there how desperate this situation is for David. And this isn't the end of it. After they get done with the Philistines, Saul and his men come back, right? 3,000 choice elite men of Israel, right? For our day and time, this is the king takes 3,000 tier one operators, Navy SEALs, Army Rangers. he got the best of the best, and they're hunting David. And on top of that, on top of the fact that the, the best of the best are coming with the king to hunt you, oh, on top of that, there are scouts everywhere, and everywhere you go, they tell them they're over here. You can't hide anywhere. 
When you read through these chapters, David and his men are running out of food. Right there in the wilderness, nobody wants to help them. They don't have food. They don't have any of the things they need. And Saul, the king, and all the choice men are chasing them. And here in this, we see that there's this point where it even says in the text that they were closing in on them. Right there, Saul's coming around one side of the mountain and David's here. And he's this close to dying. And at that point in time is when we see this psalm. I don't know what part of that story, but somewhere in this story where David is running and Saul is pursuing and David is fearing and Saul is trying to kill him, David writes this psalm that's before us that at the end is going to end with him praising God and thanking God and speaking these beautiful words about God and talking about making sacrifices to God. And some of you can identify with David in this instance. You feel like you're there now. You have somebody that's been pursuing you. Maybe they're coming after your job. And you feel like, man, they're this close. If they say what if they start one more lie, one more rumor about me, I'm not going to be able to handle it. You're right there. Somebody has been pursuing you and they've been pursuing you and you are worn out and you are tired and you feel like they're right around the corner. Some of you, maybe it's your reputation. Somebody has been coming for your reputation. They have been trying to tarnish your reputation. They've been speaking terrible things about you. And you're tired and you're weary. And you feel like they're right around the corner. They're coming after you. Maybe it's Satan and some sin that he's been pursuing you with. And you feel like you're just this close to not being able to make it. David gives us that sense. Look back at the psalm. Psalm 54 verse 3. After he asks God to listen to him, he says, For strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. He gives us this sense. God, it all seems bad. Everything seems difficult. God, I need you and your perfect character to stand up on my behalf. I need you, God, to vindicate me, to judge who's right and who's wrong. And if I'm innocent, God, I need you to deliver me. So how does this psalm pivot? And this, where we're about to be in verse 4, is where it pivots. It goes from this terrible, desperate Situation, this despairing cry to God for help, and then all of a sudden it pivots, and then at the end it's going to turn to praise. It's a very short psalm. Look at verse 4, where we really see kind of the pivotal point of this. Verses 4 and 5 are those. We'll take them individually, because in these two we see how David goes from feeling like some of you feel right now to feeling like we need to feel all the time. Verse 4, he says, Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of of my life. That doesn't sound like a lot. Doesn't sound like he said a lot, but David just said a lot. Those of you that were here a few Sunday nights back whenever I, we talked about how to interpret poetry in the Bible, right? The Psalms are poetry, they're songs. How you interpret that? One thing we talked about is contrast, right? The writers would contrast one thing in one verse with something different in the next verse, and it really built up the point. And David does that here. See, in verse 3, he's talking about these these ruthless men that have risen against him. These men that are are trying to attack him. They are wanting to harm him. And then in the next verse, he says, But the Lord is my helper. Right? So the men on one hand, God on the other. He's going to contrast them a couple different ways. The first one, he shows, The men want to hurt me. God wants to help me. Now, I'm just 
saying. I want you to think about this for a moment. If you have to pick which one is on your side and which one is against you, David's in a pretty good spot here, right? You don't want it the other way around. You don't want all the men to be on your side, all your brothers, all your buddies, everybody to be helping you, but for God to be against you. It's not a good spot to be in. So David, even though it seems bad that the king and all of the choice soldiers are chasing him, he says, I'm still in a good spot because although these ruthless men are coming after me, God is here with me. God is for me. This is David's mind. So he he gives us another contrast. Verse 3. Ruthless men seek my life. The Lord is the upholder of my life. Now again, you have these ruthless men and they're bad dudes and they want to kill me. But I know who holds my life in his hand. The reason that David is okay with this terrible, terrible situation... It's because he knows that those that are attacking him, although they're great and although they're many, they're nothing compared to the one that is for him. They're no comparison to the one that is holding his life, to the one that is his helper, to the one that wants good things for him. David, in essence, says here, even though all of these men want me dead, God wants me alive. So I'm not worried. And it's hard in the midst of that situation that many of you are in. It's hard to imagine being in the situation that David's in saying, I'm not worried. But in essence, that's what we see David saying here. I'm not worried about this. I trust God. He talks about God's name, God's character. He trusts God. He's going to talk about God's name again at the end. He's showing God's character. I trust in God's character. When we look back at the text, which we will in a few minutes, we see by his actions that he trusts God's character. It appears to me that David really has this thought of what we see in Psalm chapter 27. You don't have to turn there, but listen to Psalm 27.1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? If you're in the midst of these really tough times, write down Psalm 27 and just read the whole thing later. I believe it would be very beneficial to you. David has confidence in God that God is in charge even though things seem to be chaotic. That that David doesn't have to fear Saul and his men because he has God on his side. And David and God outnumber all 3,000 plus men that Saul has with him. David understands that. David says this over and over. I want to read to you another text. I don't usually read this many other texts, but to really get this feel of the things that David may have been thinking because I know some of you say, I want that. I feel like these things are really desperate in my life and these times are really hard. I want to give you the things that that I believe David would have had on his mind that would have allowed him to have pleasure at this time, to be joyful at this time, to praise God at this time. Deuteronomy 32 Verses 35 through 39. Why do I think that would have been on David's mind? Because this is in the Torah, and David would have memorized every word of the Torah. Right? This is called the Song of Moses. It's in the Song of Moses, not the whole Song of Moses. Believe that these are the sort of things that David would have thought about that would have brought him joy and peace at this time. Verse 35 of Deuteronomy 32. This is God speaking. It says, Vengeance is mine and recompense... 
For the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and their doom comes swiftly. For the Lord will vindicate His people and have compassion on His servants. You don't think that would bring peace to David when Saul's attacking him? For the Lord will vindicate His people and have compassion on His servants. When He sees that their power is gone and there is none remaining, bond or free, then He will say, Where are their gods? The rock in which they took refuge, who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering. Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your protection. See now that I, even I, am He, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. Now, David doesn't quote that text, but I believe that things like this or what brought David peace at this time. He says, all of these men, all of these bad things, but the Lord's my helper. They all want me dead. There's a bounty on my head, but God's the one that holds my life. If they want my life, they've got to go through God to get it. He said, I'm okay with that. Point one, David knows God, and this gives him great confidence. It's all he needs to know. David says, I don't have to know all the other circumstances. I don't have to ask a whole bunch of other questions. I know God, and that's where my confidence comes from. Not because we outnumber them, not because we can outflank them, not because I'm smarter than them, not because they're slower than us. No, I know God, and God is the one that gives me confidence. He's my helper. He's the one that upholds my life. And so I believe the first major thing that allows David to find assurance and peace in the midst of this terrible trial and dealing with an enemy is knowing that God is sovereign over everything and that these men cannot do anything to David that God would not allow them to do to David. We have to know the same. Brothers and sisters, you have to understand that this morning. You have to understand that God is in control of all things. Right? He's got the whole world in his hands. is isn't just a song for kids to sing. It's a theological truth for us to know. He's in charge of everything. And if we trust him, then we know that if we do the right thing, if we do what he has called us to do, that he's our helper and he's the one that holds our life and we can trust him with the outcome of all other circumstances. We do what God calls us to do and we can trust him to be in charge of everything else. We don't have to be in charge of everything. The other part of this pivoting of the text is verse 5. So there's the first thing. The first verse, he shows that his trust and his confidence comes from who God is. Then verse 5, some of you will like this part more when you're thinking about your enemies. He will return the evil to my enemies, and your faithfulness put an end to them. And now that's the part that we kind of like the way it sounds a little bit, right? These people that have done bad things to me, they're going to get theirs. God's going to bring vengeance. God is going to avenge His people. God is going to take care of them. But that is a truth that we see here, and not only here, that we see throughout Scripture. We see this truth that God is the one that will dole out punishment. God is the judge, right? God is the one that will decide who is guilty and who is innocent, God's wrath is the wrath that comes down against all evil. And so David says, I'm okay with that. 
I trust that even though these men are being evil and even though these men are doing things that they shouldn't do, that I don't have to worry about them going free because God sees everything and God will repay them. God will return the evil to my enemies, David says. Point two, God will avenge his people because God is just and God is good. Brothers and sisters, you can trust that God will avenge and vindicate you as his children. When, I don't know. How, I don't know. And that's the part that bothers us sometimes. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. We want to take matters into our own hands. Because here's the thing, this enemy of mine, if I punish them, I know how I'd do it. I know that I would make things right. I know that I could get even and feel better about myself if I take matters into my own hands. But God calls us not to do that. God says that that is for Him to do, not for us. That He is the one that should be in charge of that. Romans chapter 12, you can write that down, verses 19 through 21, just to show this to you somewhere else. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more Wednesday night this week. But I want you to see this point that that person that's been gunning for your job, that that person that's been trying to ruin your reputation, that that person that's been trying to do all these bad things to you or your family, that all of a sudden when you catch them in a vulnerable spot and you've got a chance to get even and you have an opportunity to take matters into your own hands, the Lord says don't. That's not your job. That's not for you to do. David finds hope in the fact that he doesn't have to make things right with Saul. He doesn't have to be the judge. He doesn't have to be the punisher that God is going to do that. So David says, listen, things are bad. Things are really, really, really bad. But I find confidence in knowing that God is the protector of David. And I find confidence in knowing that God will be the punisher of Saul and with those two things, David all of a sudden pivots and turns from a lack of hope or despair or this desperate cry to joy. The rest of this text changes completely. Verses 6 and 7, if you just read these two verses, you'd never think that this is a psalm where David is in trouble and his life is at stake. You'd never think, he says, with a free will offering, I will sacrifice to you. That's verse 6. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good, for he has delivered me from every trouble and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. Now, I want you to hear this. Listen to this. This, these aren't two separate psalms written at different times. It's not that we have a psalm where David cries out to God and then God intervenes and makes things right and then David comes back and writes the ending at a different time. No, this is all at the same time. While David is in the wilderness 
And while he is being pursued, while it says, while the Zilphites are saying, Saul, David's over here. While that is happening, David writes with a free will offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from every trouble and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. This isn't after the situation is resolved. This is while he's in the situation. And again, we see the confidence that David has in God. While still in the midst of the trial, he starts praising God because he knows that God is going to answer his prayer. He knows that God is going to deliver him. How? How does he know that? He says it in the second part of verse 6. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. And again, he's not talking about God's name. He's not talking about Yahweh. He's talking about God's character. David knows God's character. And God is a God that has perfect, impeccable character. He never lets his people down. He does what they need, and he always knows what you need. He always punishes evil. He always, always does what he knows is best. David doesn't know what's best. So he says, I'm leaving it all to God. The last point. God deserves our thanks and our praise because he, he handles our enemies. I want you to think about that this morning. I don't know who your enemy is. I don't know what you're dealing with. But whoever your enemy is, you don't have to handle them. What David does is instead of focusing on Saul and the 3,000 men, he focuses on God. And all of a sudden, his whole life, his whole perspective pivots from worry or anxiety to joy and praise and thanksgiving. Brothers and sisters, if you're here this morning and you have an enemy and you have someone, or one day down the road you have one because Jesus says that the world hated him, so if we live here long enough that the world's going to hate us, that Satan is going to try to bring enemies about, if you don't have an enemy now but you do have one later, let me give you some advice. Don't just pout. Don't just throw a pity party. Don't spend all of your time focusing on them. Don't spend your time hating them. Right? Romans 12 said don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, instead of focusing on wanting the worst for them or trying to get even with them, focus on the Lord. Every enemy you've ever had, He's delivered you from. You're still here today. He's promised that He's going to punish all evil. You don't have to worry about that. And when we remember that we're completely dependent on God, but that's okay because He's going to give us everything we need, all of a sudden we can go from worry and anxiety and stress and losing sleep to joy and happiness and praise and thanksgiving. There's one last thing that I have to make sure that I remind you of. I think as I read this text and as I preach the sermon and I study this this week, it just slaps me in the face over and over and over because when we talk about enemies, we all think about bad people, right? Whoever those bad people are for you. But I want you to remember that it's really important that we allow God to be the judge because at one point, we were all enemies. You were somebody else's enemy. At some point in your life, you've been hateful to somebody else. But more importantly, at one point in your life, you were an enemy of God 
Romans chapter 8 tells us that the mind that is set on the flesh, which we all had before we were saved, is hostile to God. At one point, we were all living like we were God's enemies, and we all deserved to be punished. We all deserved the wrath of God for being His enemy. But thank the Lord that He was patient with me and allowed me to live long enough that I quit being His enemy and became His child through the blood of Jesus Christ. That I won't ever be punished for those sins because Jesus was punished for my sins. Brothers and sisters, if we take up wrath against people, we're going to take it up right now. But sometimes the book's not closed on those people. And the Lord would give their punishment to Jesus when they respond to Him in faith. And maybe you're treating them well. I know that's hard. I know that's a big deal. To think about what Paul says in Romans 12, that if your enemy's hungry, give him some food. Brother Zach, that's a hard thing to do. I didn't say it's easy. It's just what the Scriptures say we're supposed to do. Your enemy's thirsty, giving him something to drink. Right? That's hard to do. But maybe in doing that, you might bring them, point them to Christ. And they may miss an eternity in hell and the punishment that they deserve but that you also once deserved and that I also once deserved, that they might miss that like we're going to miss that. That they might see the glory of God. That they might live for the glory of God now and that they might praise God forever and ever and ever in heaven what He deserves because Jesus took what we deserve. Brothers and sisters, it is very important that we leave vengeance to the Lord and that we don't take it in our own hands. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. This morning, there are a lot of ways that you could respond. The most fitting if you are here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ is to come to Him and to say, Lord, I know that I've been your enemy. I know that I've lived life my way and not your way. Lord, I know that I've done the things that I want to do and not the things that you wanted me to do. But today I realize that the only way that I can be saved, the only way that I can have the confidence that Grant and Mary Gwen have, that when I die is that I'm going to have the only way that that can happen. The only way that I can be your child and not your enemy is to come and give my life to Jesus Christ. And if you have questions about that today, I am here and ready to answer them. If you want to know about his death in your place, it's already happened. Let's just talk about it. If you're here this morning and you have been seeking vengeance for yourself, it's an opportunity to repent. If you're here today and you have thought that your ways were better than the Lord's ways, it's an opportunity to repent. If you're here and you're just thankful, you've been forgiven for being God's enemy. Let's sing out of joy. Let's praise Him. But whatever it is that the Lord calls you to do, I ask that you would respond to Him this morning. You can come and pray. You can sing what you do with the Lord leads you.